Welcome to the Dharma Spring. So to start, here's our koan again. Um, With empty hands, I pick up the hoe. As I walk, I ride the water buffalo. As I cross the bridge, the bridge flows. The water is still. Hmm. Something... I noticed there was um, an inkling of this on for me on Monday, hanging out with this. Now it's come uh, as of yesterday. Yesterday was, oh, something came forth more fully in a certain vein with the koan, a certain layer or level, as we, as I often mention. There's not just one dimension. There's as many dimensions, at least as there are us <laughs> meeting it. And then we're multi-dimensioned, so there's all that. So who knows how many dimensions any particular koan may have. Um, So I'm just taking it up in this one vein, or this... Maybe there's multiple dimensions to the vein. (laughs) But it has to do with this... uh, The empty hands, and that riding the water buffalo, and the flowing bridge. The three of them... being spoken of somewhat in our previous conversation and maybe just having that feeling of you know the ultimate sense of things that ideal sense of like true emptiness something like that you know Uh, the deeper the absolute level maybe the the thing to strive for to try to cultivate to always be with empty hands to always be riding that that water buffalo, you know, the deep, the big, vast water buffalo of whatever <laughs> that might be. And that to always be in the place of the flowing bridge. You know, you're going to get those kind of things, those ideal images, which um, it's good to notice that. But it can also be something that is quite a hindrance if that's what we set up for ourselves having this ultimate idea of what it is to have empty hands in that sense you know leaning towards the absolute um what's interesting to have ideas of it obviously it's not empty (laughs) those things aren't empty because if i have ideas that i'm trying to achieve well that's not empty so that's that's fun to notice um but it can also lend itself to the what we call the stink of zen yeah we like i am walking with empty hands always like yeah pew <laughs> i'm always riding the water buffalo Blech. you know in that ultimate sense i had invited us the other day to be curious what is the water buffalo you find yourself right or what is it that you find yourself riding maybe it's not a water buffalo in your actual experience what are you riding yeah so it can lend itself, like I said, if we hold it in that ideal state only, 
you can carry that Zen stink or it becomes this large obstacle and we beat ourselves up because we're never there and all that kind of stuff can happen and become quite a troublesome thing. Um, a couple of examples. There's a story, not really the troublesome thing, but just some some slices of that. That territory is the story where the, uh, somebody comes comes to the teacher is like, I've come with nothing. Isn't it wonderful? In that kind of, ah, place. And the teacher says, well, put it down. And the person says, but I've come with nothing. I'm not carrying anything. How can I put it down? Teacher says, okay, keep carrying it. <laughs> to show that, well, that nothing you have is still something because you think it's nothing, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the other take on that is somebody who has experience in the past working with a, in the Tibetan tradition they talk about the dharma the practices engaged in are kind of like antidotes to the difficulties the obstacles the hindrances that we built up over our lives so you take up practice as an antidote to kind of dissolve and work on those and then at some point you need an antidote for the antidote you know okay your practice has helped it's kind of maybe replace the negative harmful patterns with positive and beneficial ones but they're still patterns they're still maybe habits things you're stuck in so now you need an antidote to undo that so you can get free of it or to go back to the zen term to wipe off and wash away the stink of zen um so i was through yesterday's experience which i'll get to in a moment i just realized it's very rare that we truly come forward with empty hands yeah it may happen on occasion there may be that vast whoa things walk, you know drop away to that in that bigger deeper sense but it, when it's that it's like we're not even there there aren't even hands there when those moments happen things are just completely whoosh yeah but most of our lives if we have hands in the story, I mean, we have hands, but in the story, when we're reaching and grabbing things, we're not in that place of absolute vastness, nothing at all, no distinctions. We're in a place of distinctions of our ordinary world. Um, so it's very rare that we come with truly empty hands in, in, in an ultimate sense. I think an important aspect of this koan that speaks to that is this person who spoke these words or wrote them, Mahasattva Fu, Mahasattva meaning great being. Um, he was a lay person, so he wasn't a monastic. And we have this again and again in the tradition um, where at certain points in time, like the time of the Buddha, you have this, the Buddha, <laughs> the, the expression maybe the ultimate sense of embodying the way you could say and the monastic the the one removed a little bit you know a little removed from life living a different kind of in a different area but we also have vimalakirti living at the time of the buddha this important lay person who had deep understanding deep realization in the midst of life yeah and mahasattva fu lived at the time of bodhidharma so here we are at the beginnings of zen you've got bodhidharma He's that ultimate representation, that figure. But you got Mahasattva Fu. <laughs> um, a great being who has a family and a job and does normal things. Isn't a monastic. 
And then on from there, at the beginning of the koan tradition, you have uh, Ancestor Ma. But you also have the the Pong family, Layman Pong and his wife and their daughter, embodying the deep awakening in the midst of life as it is, in a place where they don't have long periods of just being, well, maybe they do, but not, not, not perpetual periods of being in the monastery and taking up life away from life, yeah? In a secluded way, they're in the midst of life. So I think that's really important that this is Mahasattva Fu speaking these words. So the thing that happened yesterday, which I'm still enjoying, <laughs> it's a little, it's dipping into our times and a couple layers to it. Um, so it has to do with and all these things are constructs and manufactured views of things, but it has to do with what's being currently called the cultural war wars we're having in our own society. And this thing about pitting generations against each other, the, the, the constructs of generations. Um, and particularly it's to do with the term that's floating about more and more these days of cancel culture. This thing where um, I like to, I came across, uh, somebody referred to it as, it's not cancel culture, it's accountability culture. <laughs> Whereas right now, there's, uh, something being perceived as, and, and likely with some validity, being headed up by a younger generation, looking at some of these things that have been going on for a while, that are like, wait a minute, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> there's some racial and sexist and, um, more overtones, undertones, to all that we should do something about that yeah and so kind of holding our culture accountable some are saying you're just canceling everything it's cancel culture and so what happened somebody wrote an article saying and the, the, the general idea is it's the Millennials and Generation Z the younger folks who are heading up this cancel culture in the article the person says Generation X, you need to lead the charge and save America. <laughs> I'm Generation X. Some of you maybe as well. And to sum up somebody's response was, Generation X's battle cry of whatever. <laughs> yeah. Lead up the charge, save America, Generation X. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So the context of that is, and it was stuff that I forgot about, um, <laughs> when I was a kid, there was this great movement to cancel our culture. <laughs> um, and I had forgotten about it, but it was the whole satanic heavy metal music. You need to get rid of that. Um, Madonna, Prince, uh, rap music, that's got to go, <laughs> you know. Uh, the Simpsons was one thing that people tried to cancel and get rid of. Even Murphy Brown, remember that show? So we had this whole thing that we were enjoying as kids that our adults and older generations were saying, get rid of. And it's like, you were trying to cancel us, and now you're saying, fight against cancel culture, yeah? So the, the other way that they're generalizing things is it's the boomers wanting the millennials to stop canceling everything and the boomers are asking Gen, Gen X because this came through Fox News and they pointed out like 70% of people who watch Fox News are of the 
boomer generation. So a generalization that the boomers are wanting the cancel culture stuff to stop and they're calling on Gen X to do it. And we're like, whatever to both generations, like whatever, do what you got to do. <laughs> it's like boomers, you tried to cancel us. That's all right. And we got through it. And Gen Z millennials, you're our kids. And it's kind of cool to see you fighting against things the way we fought against it in our own strange way. At the same time, whatever to you too. We don't really care. <laughs> That's the general attitude. Um, it's like, whatever, shut up, leave us alone, is uh, the, the summation of some people's, the attitude of Gen Xers. May or may not be true, but... That's the background, really, of the deeper experience for me was I read this article, and then there's all these stuff people are tweeting and sharing their stories, these Gen Xers. And as I'm reading the stories, I'm like, wow, that's like my life. <laughs> Not every single experience they're sharing I had, but there's a spirit to it that is just like, yeah, that's how it was. And I noticed perceptions and attitudes that people have in that group, it's like, I have those. And maybe not prominently and um, wielding them out there strongly, but I just noticed my generation and what I went through, just like for all of us, influenced who I am, and it's always kind of there. So when I encountered the article like this, it kind of enlivens that that sleeping whatever inside of me that goes, yeah, Generation X whatever <laughs> it happened at the beginning of the pandemic too it said um there was another article that said generation x may be the most the generation most suited to dealing with a lockdown because we were the latchkey generation you know in general we had to fend for ourselves parents were at work got up and made our breakfast went to school came home did chores made dinner or snacks then the parents came home so it's like we're we're kind of okay we can deal with this. That was the idea. Again, speaking in general terms and not just limited to our generation, but there's a great affinity with that. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to know that there's my tribe and I'm a part of a tribe and it felt kind of cool. But realizing this, touching into this yesterday, that came to this thing of, I never really show up with truly empty hands because I have these attitudes and perceptions and ways of relating to things that I'm not even aware of because it's what shaped me and made me who I am. But it shows up when I have articles like this that come forward. It lets me see it more clearly. But I do notice there is a, a tendency of uh, whatever that I have, not as the presiding thing that I operate out of but it's kind of there in the background all the time um another person tweeted yeah gen x the generation that loves to be told who they are and what to do <laughs> i don't think anybody likes that but particularly our generation here's who you are and here's what you need to do yeah whatever um but to bring it back to the koan territory more specifically Knowing that I show up all the time, any of us show up all the time with our conditioning, um, whether it's from our culture, from um, our families, or from our own experiences that we built up and condition ourselves over time, I know that I don't come with nothing in my hands, nothing in my being, right? But 
Well, so that's, that's the one aspect. My hands aren't fully empty. And that water buffalo that I'm, that's, I'm riding, that is all of my experience, all my conditioning. It's, I'm riding all the time on the energy and the flow of who I am, who I've um, become with all these influences still right there. That's what this water buffalo in particular is made up of. And that flowing bridge, or just the bridge itself, is the things I've constructed out of my conditioning in order to get by, my strategies, my uh, ways of approaching things, my views and perceptions of things, yeah? So then I circle back around. To have empty hands in that, in light of all this, is to, to know that stuff is there, but not to grab onto it not to wield it you know i have it's a great battle cry because whatever it's like even having a battle cry eh, whatever <laughs> but um i don't have to wield that as an attitude all the time in the forefront but i know that okay there's a tendency for that to be there so the emptiness of it isn't that the hands are vacant it's just that whatever's there my hands are open enough to let it be there without grabbing onto it so that there's no room for anything else yeah the openness of the empty hands allows, well, what's coming in to mix and mingle as well and not grabbing onto it fully either. So again, the emptiness is the space around the things that are already there and the space around the things that arrive and land in my hands. The empty space around them allows them to move and not be a things that I wield, nor things that become oppressive, yeah, because I'm not grasping and holding on to them too tightly. And then riding the water buffalo is, is different than being the water buffalo, yeah? <laughs> all that conditioning, all that stuff that the water buffalo is, that carries me along, there are times I might dip in and kind of feel like I am my conditioning, I am my circumstances, I am something that's been manufactured, but more often than not, I can just know it's there beneath me and it's kind of what informs my, again, my perceptions, my attitudes. And I'm riding on it all the time, but I don't have, I'm not, I'm not the water buffalo. There's, a, there's the me and there's the riding of it and there's the water buffalo. So there's a relationship there. I guess there's also a recognition of it's helpful that that thing carries me along, gets me through life, even though it's not always going to be in that ultimate deep sense of flowing. Yeah, it's going to be conditioned, but it carries me along. And it's the same going with that bridge, the bridge that I construct of things that those approaches, strategies, attitudes, um, ways of being that I've developed to get me along, to respond and to be helpful with the world. The fact that it's a flowing bridge has that same spirit of riding the water buffalo. Um, it's not a bridge that's tightly put together and that I pick up and carry everywhere. Every, every moment I build another bridge and it's flowing, it's, it's malleable, it moves around those things, not so fixed in place at the same time being that which supports me and upon which I stand. So that thing that was brought in the other day about 
At once, it's a support and a structure, but it's also conveying me, carrying me along, like the water buffalo. And then we get to that, the water is still part. And what I notice with the koan is, up until that moment, we have uh, pairs of things happening. Empty hands and a hoe, so two things meeting. As I walk, I ride the water buffalo. So me, a water buffalo, two things meeting. As I cross the bridge, the bridge flows. Again, me and a bridge, two things meeting. And all those things, as I've been exploring them in this particular territory of vein of the koan, is it's all my stuff. The me of right now meeting things and the stuff that I've brought into the situation, um culturally conditioning or conditioned societally conditioned personally conditioned so the that the pairing stuff to me is just me and myself <laughs> all of those other things are just aspects of myself the self beneath myself so for me the water is still the water in that phrase it's just the water there's nothing else you notice there's not a pairing with anything so I considered that to be just like the vast world and all that comes to meet me outside of anything particular, uh, out of my realm of my personal territory, yeah. And so it's like, well, what's the stillness of that water then? If it's outside of me and my territory as I'm experiencing it in opposition to the other things, how can it be still? What is that? Because water, well, water, in this case, the bridge with the river or creek flowing beneath it, is moving. And when I look at, if I'm seeing this water as representing the world and all those things happening out there, things are in constant motion, constantly flowing, <laughs> constantly moving. So I noticed, well, what allows it to be still is that I'm constantly flowing as well, yeah, in those three instances. Though my hands are full of things that are me, I'm, they're flowing with space around that stuff so that they're empty, yeah, so I can meet things. So there's a flow to that. Not of the things that my hands are, but again, in the space that is allowed by the hands being what they are. And to embody that space or welcome that space more, more so. And then there's a flow to that riding the water buffalo. Not becoming the water buffalo, or not getting off of it and trying not to ride it, and trying to get rid of it and suppress it. It's like, well, I ride the water buffalo. So flowing with my conditions and my circumstances personally. Yeah, those, that realm. Not being in a fixed place. And then again, the things that I build, that I construct to get by, it's a flowing bridge, that. It's all in movement. And so if I am flowing and in motion all the time, even with everything I bring to each situation, keeping it moving and flowing, then when I meet that which is also moving and flowing, because we are equal in our moving and flowing <laughs> at the base, at the heart of things, there's stillness. Instead of me against the world, trying to go upstream or crossways, trying to break through it, 
It's like the world flows, and I notice I flow as well. And I notice the more I can be in that spacious place of allowing myself to be flowing, not tight and um, too too tightly constructed, <laughs> too tightly held together. If I can be open and loose without fading away completely, that I'm in a place of flowing as well, that it's easier to match that outward flowing, outer flowing of the world. And then that, that's where the ultimate pairing comes together. Yeah. I become that water. We are not two, that outer world and this inner world of me, or this separate world of me, we're not separate. So I don't know who that flow belongs to or where it is, because it's everywhere and it's a part of me. So I can show up as I am, loosely. <laughs> Meet the world and embrace it, loosely, with spaciousness, with room to breathe, and have that, yeah, that mutual flow, the shared flow. And then we just keep tumbling along together over the rocks, around the bends, deeper and deeper. Just like this, yeah. Then those divisions of generations and cultural things, they kind of loosen up and we can laugh and not take them too seriously. Um, allow them to become the, the flotsam and the jetsam upon the waters, yeah. <laughs> Rather than the waters themselves, yeah. And I, too, my own flotsam and jetsam. <laughs> so. Yeah. Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.